Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Podcast. I'm here with Zach Miller, one of our instructors, teaches constitutional policing. As I'm saying this to the microphone here, I think about how inconsistent my opening must be. But we're just getting to the meat and potatoes. Welcome to the Street Cop Training Podcast. Today, Zach and I are going to be discussing a few different topics that we think are to find value in being a listener of this podcast. If you have questions that you want us to answer, you can send those questions into Zach at streetcop.com or streetcoptraining at gmail.com. We'll filter them to the right place. Something interesting and with constitutional sense to it. So Zach can give you a good answer. And generally when we have somebody asking a question, that kind of means that a lot of people have the same question in their brain. It's interesting. We try to look at what the conversation, the topics are in the group that are trending. And we kind of develop our podcast over resolving some of those issues, not just answering them in our Facebook group. So without further ado, Zach Miller, everybody. Hey, Zach. Hey, Dennis. Good to see you. Yes, sir. It's been a while. It's been a, a while. pleasure to see you. It is. It a little is disheartening always. that I'm not going to see you on the 19th like I thought I was going to. Yeah, I, I, it's it's vacation time. It's summertime. Got to gotta take some time for vacation. Yeah, listen, yeah. I, I don't just see my backyard. It's yeah. got a vacation feel to it. Well, did you see my, my the slide I have in my backyard? I saw slide. you had something on Facebook uh, with the kids. Maybe something. That's uh, an important well, it deal, It was a man. little something. It was a little... Uh... All, right, all right. Anyway, so what are we going into today? What's the first topic you want to discuss? Um, so I had a... Uh, someone sent me a, a case, and I'd read it before. I just hadn't really spent much time going over it. But it's a search incident to arrest case. Um, a search of a backpack incident to arrest. Uh, it's a new case. It's out of the Fourth Circuit. Uh, so it's a federal case. Um Davis versus the United States from 2021. Uh, real simple facts of what happened. Uh, that it was a traffic stop. The uh, he initially pulled over. His I think it was the only occupant in the vehicle. He initially pulled over and then he took off uh, in his vehicle when the officer approached him. So they got into a short pursuit. Uh, I think a wreck ensued. He gets out, and runs on foot, runs into kind of like this marshy area, and basically gives up. Realizes he's not going to get any further, so they uh, arrest him, handcuff him, and he's as he's laying face down in the ground, handcuffed. He's being searched. Uh, one of the officers searched a backpack that he had on his back when he, or that he was, he was either carrying it or had it on his back uh, when he was running, and he kind of dropped it, uh, and then the arrest ensued right after that. So we have an officer off to the side searching the backpack. Uh, the guy's laying on the ground being searched. And in the, in the backpack, I think they found some drugs, which uh, led to a search of the car with more drugs in the car. Uh, there may have been a firearm involved. I can't remember, but it's really not relevant. So uh, what his contention was, was that the, well, one of his contentions, the first one that um, he talked about was the search of the backpack. He said that was an unlawful search. The prosecution argued that was a valid search incident to arrest. Uh, Let me ask you this. I mean, as soon as you said that, did the prosecution argue abandonment at all? No, that wasn't argued. Uh, It was search incident to arrest only. Um, Didn't argue whether they had probable cause to search it and maybe an exigent circumstance. Um, What about what would you think in that situation, if you were the prosecutor, you might have brought up abandonment? uh, I don't know. It's possible. And I'd have to go back and read the facts a little more closely. I don't know that it was, it depends on how far away from him it was. I don't know if he dropped it intentionally. I don't know if the falling into the marshy area caused him to drop it, Uh, but it certainly could, it could have been, 
legitimately argued as abandoned uh, with the yeah. right facts. Two states that I've seen so far that we discussed in the past was um, I know I know Wisconsin for one, and I think Texas was the other one that if you flee from your from a vehicle, it's considered to be abandonment. Have you ever seen anything like uh, that? No, that's that's yeah, yeah. So they relinquish all rights, title, and claim to privacy yeah. in the automobile. Wow. Okay. I, I know like for a fact Michigan. I'm not I'm, I'm Michigan. I'm sorry, Wisconsin. And then I believe I read a case out of Texas the same. They said the same thing. Like, yep, you ran away. You left it. The doors were open. You abandoned it. Yeah, and we don't have to have PC. We don't have to be towing it. Yeah, you're, you haven't, you've are you abandoned any expectation of privacy in that sense. Yeah, that so sense. No, no longer Fourth Amendment protections right. around that Fourth item. It doesn't come into play, right? Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Um, so anyway, the, the Court of Appeals eventually gets a hold of this case. And, and if I'm not mistaken, it happened in North Carolina. Uh, they held that the search of the backpack was unlawful. It wow. was, uh, yeah, it was not a valid search incident to arrest, uh, and the reason was that it was not immediately uh, accessible or to him. He one, well, he was not unsecured, and it was not within his his reaching distance. Uh, essentially, is what they said. Um, so, the significance of this case is they applied. Arizona versus Gantt, the, the, the first prong of Gantt, and we've talked about Gantt several times on the podcast in the past. Uh, this is not the evidence of the crime of arrest part of Gantt that we're talking about now. It's the first part, the uh, immediate accessibility. And the reason I think this, and I know this case is significant, is because Kate's courts are, are starting to apply that Gantt um, rule, if you will, to non-vehicle contexts. And it's actually interesting if, if you go back and look at the history of search incident to arrest. Uh, it is a it has a long history in our courts. It's actually a common law right to search the person when we arrested them. Uh, the first time the Supreme Court ever talked about search incident to arrest was in 1914 in Weeks. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to go real quickly over the history of search incident to arrest to tell you how we got to where we are today. Um, the first major search incident to arrest case that I think we had was uh, United States versus Rabinowitz in the early, it was in the 40s, I think, or 1950. Uh, it was a house, sir, a home search. And uh, they arrested him in his house and they essentially searched pretty much his whole house. And they called it search incident to arrest. It wasn't just the immediate area around him, it was Very pretty interesting. Much his whole house. And the Supreme Court held that was a lawful search incident to arrest. Wow. And there was another case that came not long after that called United States versus Harris, where basically the same uh, holding uh, was held. So for a little while, it was called, it was called the Harris Rabinowitz rule. And if you arrested someone in in, a, in any location, uh, the, the scope of search incident arrest was pretty broad. Mm -hmm. And then the modern search incident arrest doctrine came about 1969 in, in Chamel versus California, where mm -hmm. they said that, that Harris Rabinowitz thing, that was we went too far with that. We're going to rein it back in, and search incident to arrest only applies to those areas that are within the immediate uh, reach of the arrestee at the time of his arrest. Um, you know, I know other things have been tested regarding that Bowie versus Maryland things like mm -hmm. that, right? Yep. And then, and then, so we had then we had um, well, Robinson is the the person search and that that established that bright line rule. If you're taking him to jail, you search his person 100 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't really talk about carried belongings in, in, in uh, Robinson. And then Belton was the car search case where basically the court said, if you arrest somebody out of a car, the car, that's close enough. We're going to call that within his immediate reach, and you can search it every single time, the pasture compartment. And that's kind of where we were for quite a while. Uh, and then Gantt came along and narrowed it, brought it back to Chimel, 
and said, listen, the only time you can search a car incident to arrest is if the arrestee's unsecured and he's within reaching distance of the car. Then you can search the passenger compartment. And then also they dropped in the, or if you have reasonably there's evidence of the crime of arrest, you can search the car. So and that's a confusing happened, one for a lot of people, evidence of it, crime of arrest. So yeah, I know we've talked about it in the past. Just give them a quick example of what one of those might be. So if I've, if well, before Gantt, if I arrested somebody, uh, it doesn't matter why I was arresting them. If they're going to jail, we search their car, uh, at least the passenger compartment. And, and whether we were towing it, whether we had PC or not, we were searching the car as an incident to the arrest. Uh, after Gantt, um, we could search the car if we have a reason to believe there's evidence of the crime of arrest in the vehicle. So, for example, I arrest someone for a DUI offense. Um, it's it's entirely reasonable to think you could find evidence of drunk driving in someone's car, which is the crime of arrest. So you could you could still search the car today uh, and call that a search incident to arrest. But if we were arresting them for, say, failing to appear in court, uh, maybe there was a bench warrant or a capius issued for the for failing to appear in court, we could not search the car because it wouldn't be reasonable to think you could find evidence of that not showing up in court in someone's car. Um, so that's an example of Gantt's evidence search, which is not what was at issue here. At issue here in this Davis case was the accessibility of the backpack at the time they searched it. So the first key to search incident arrest, if we're talking about searching a particular area, we are looking at at the time of the search, was it within the arrestee's immediate control? Was he unsecured and could he access it reasonably? And in this case, they said, no, he's laying face down in the mud He's handcuffed behind his back, and there were at least two police officers in the immediate area, uh, and the backpack was a short distance away. So therefore, under Gantt's immediate accessibility rule, the, the backpack was not within his immediate access. So they could not search the backpack as a search incident to rest. But as you mentioned, there could have been some other theories that may have justified the search, but they were not argued uh, in the court of appeals. Can you, when you go to court on something like this, can you argue three different ways? You can, if it's... If we're in the appellate system, though, it generally has to already be in the record, meaning you have to have made that argument um, in the lower court, in the trial court. You have to have preserved the argument. So you can't you generally courts, appellate courts don't allow you to make up new arguments after, during the appellate process. Would you would you say some of this goes back to the theory of and I try to remind people that. Cops can make bad case law, but so can prosecutors. Sure, sure. If we, if if the prosecutor is arguing uh, the wrong issue or, or the, the wrong reason for the justification, uh, but there could be others, then yeah, he could he or she could have painted him him herself into a corner uh, by not making the additional arguments. Yes. I like when the I like when the courts address that. Like, hey, you didn't argue this, so we're not asked to check that. Right. You know, you didn't say it was abandonment. But it could have been abandonment, but nobody brought it up. So that's an issue we don't have to discuss. Exactly. You didn't You didn't say you might have PC to search it. You didn't talk about maybe a weapon being in there. Uh, now, these are things when they get sent back down to the lower court, they can argue these now to the trial court, uh, but not, not the appellate court. How did this, this – well, if you, I have a few questions for you. So one um, – well, three things. The first one I'm going to ask you is this. How did this end up in the fourth district court – of appeals was a court it of appeals being a federal case. Um, so it was a state officer who made the initial traffic stop, but due to the quantity of drugs they found, uh, it became a federal prosecution. That's that's how it's a very good. Question. Okay, who does that apply now to in the fourth district? 
So it's binding on any federal agency in the Fourth Circuit. So any federal officers in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, and West Virginia. So it still does uh, not change the dynamic of binding case law. Only now becomes persuasive. Courts. Right. It's binding only on federal officers in that circuit. It's But, but uh, several other circuits have held the exact same. I know the Tenth Circuit in a separate case, and they cited in this Davis case numerous other federal circuits that have basically said the same thing they said here uh, in the Fourth Circuit. But as far, the, as, far as state officials, uh, unless your state considers federal appellate cases binding, which most don't, they generally only consider them persuasive, then it's not binding on your state. Um, but I will say that it's the trend, this is the way it's going, this, these, these, these containers uh, that are not being worn at the time of the search, like a purse or something like that, uh, the the trend is that they if they're not within the immediate reach of the arrestee and he's unsecured, you can't search them. Okay. Um, do you think something like this is feeling like it might be heard with the U.S. Supreme Court level? Yeah, I think there are several issues in Gantt that the Supreme Court uh, wasn't very clear on what they precisely meant, and this could be one of them. Uh, whether the Gantt um, accessibility rule applies outside of the vehicle context which I believe it does, uh, but the court wasn't explicit about that. And that's what these courts are, are, are grappling with right now. Then there's a couple other issues dealing with that evidence collection part too. But yeah, this could be certainly something. Now, the, if what's going to make it more likely to be taken by the Supreme Court is if another court rules the opposite way and says, nope, this Gantt uh, immediate access rule does not apply to containers or, 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 or something else. I don't think that's likely, though. Um, I think I think they have. I think they got it right in the Fourth Circuit here, um, but we'll see. Time will tell. New Jersey has case law. It's been around for a while. We have one case called State versus Bradley, and then we have another case called State versus O U N U S I O Y E N U S I. And the guy is a um, some kind of uh, African name. I think his first name is like Mama Duande or something. So he was. I'll give you the, the, the premise of the two and what they talked about here. It really had to do with search incident to arresting and what New Jersey rules are regarding search incident to arrest. And they've called this a progressive state. What's interesting is if you understand the history of New Jersey case law and how it comes out at the federal level later on, not that it's thrilling that we're the most progressive, but a lot of times the U.S. Supreme Court follows suit right behind New Jersey and have their deciding. Uh, very interesting stuff. And I know New Jersey, obviously, very well because I'm from New Jersey and I teach New Jersey case law. Uh, and again, not all of every piece of case law ever in history. The stuff that police officers need to know. One of these things that people need to know is are these cases, Bradley and Oyunusi. So what happened to Bradley was there was a, an arrest. I'll give you the first one. This is, I think, in the 90s. There's an arrest at a casino in Atlantic City, and the guy has a briefcase with him. And he's arrested. He, have you heard this case? Is he, nope. he, okay, so no, what no, happens I'm, is I'm he's arrested. Atlantic City PD is there. They walk with him with the briefcase, and they transport him 10 floors up to another security room and then move him again, and then they go and inventory his property. And inside the briefcase they were inventorying, there were a lot of things in there that were incriminating. I think there were, like, receipts and all sorts of shit for whatever kind of scam they are pulling in the casinos. And the court said... You could not save this search incident to arrest. And the answer why is because it was done so remote in time and place that it cannot be considered integrated units of one single transaction. We go to Ayanusi, they hit Baba Tawande or whatever his name was. And I tell you, he's got one of these wild names. 
And they actually refer to him a lot in the case by his first name. That's why I'm saying it. I'm not trying to say it to sound cute. And he was suspected of piracy. So he was bootlegging. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. He was doing Medicaid fraud. So when agents swooped down on him, state agents, police officers in New Jersey, they, he has two shopping bags with him. They take the bags off of him, arrest him, and then search the shopping bags instant to arrest. And the court said, this one was okay. Here's yeah. why. You did not transport him. Um, we'll consider that incident to arrest. Even, and they said, well, what about the handcuffs first? They go, the handcuffing first didn't matter. We want an integrated unit of connectivity there. So a lot of times guys from like New Jersey Transit will say to me, hey, you know, a lot of times what we do is because we have a big crowd coming off the train. If we lock somebody up, every one of our train stations, unbeknownst to most people, has a small little police station in it. And usually it's a 45, 200 foot walk to that. Do you think you'd still be okay for search incident to arrest? And my advice is I I 100% believe so. Yeah, it just has to be what's called contemporaneous with the arrest. And I think there's a Supreme Court, there is a Supreme Court case on this issue. And I think it's called Preston versus the United States. Um, I'm not positive, but it's very similar to what the first one you mentioned, where the, uh, the, the search, what we called it a search incident to arrest, but it was so far in time removed from the actual physical arrest that you can't call it a search incident to arrest. So yeah, it doesn't have to be immediately after the arrest, but it's got to be very, very close in time. What do you think um, when, the, when the Fourth Circuit uh, kind of ruled on this, were they taking something similar to this into account or are they is it different circumstances? How do you feel about that? Um, as far as the time, because the, the search was actually occurring immediately after the arrest. So it wasn't the time in, in this case. It was the the physical proximity of the backpack to him, the guy being arrested. Like Where just, was the backpack? It was laying on the ground, and I don't remember exactly how far away. It was definitely beyond arm's reach of him, uh, but it wasn't like it was a half a mile away. I mean, it was relatively close to him, but so he's you think you, laying on his, on his face. If we're, if we're discussing in the realm of search incident to arrest, them having it, holding it, or being on their person is going to be a major factor. Absolutely. At the time of the search, yes. At the time of the arrest. Well, it's the the search has to occur at the time of arrest, yes. And it okay. has to be accessible at the time of arrest. Excuse me. Just like at the time of search. Just like Bubba Tawanda, he's carrying these two shop right, uh, you know, like grocery store plastic bags. Sure. They walk up to him, they grab the bags, lock them up, and then search the bags incident. And the right, court said like that was right fine. Right there, like right on. Yep. Yes. The, that That's probably still going to be okay under this this new gantt um, we'll, we'll even have guys go to a shoplifting right so they'll go to a jc penny's or a macy's and what they'll do is they'll arrest search the bags before transport uh not as an inventory but as an incident to arrest mm-hmm. so the people are being that's their property being arrested with well that is that's so there is you can do inventories of we think of inventory searches usually as vehicle searches but you can do inventory of an arrestee's belongings if those items are being transported to the detention facility. In most states, but not in New Jersey. Yeah, in most states, yes. The, yep. Right. There's a Supreme Court case, Illinois versus Lafayette, that says you can do it. But yeah, if, if, if your state constitution doesn't allow, then no. But as a Fourth Amendment matter, if we... So let's say in our Davis case, this Fourth Circuit case, if they were taking the backpack with him to the jail, they could easily and clearly under Lafayette done an inventory search of the bag. Now, the inventory search in Lafayette was actually done at the facility by the jailers, but it can still be done by the officer on scene. 
and you got to have a policy. This, the same rules that apply to vehicle inventory searches apply to inventories of property. The, the, the bag has to have, in fact, been going with him to the jail. And so that's another argument the prosecution could make when we go back down on Davis to the lower lower court. Yeah, I'm not here to cast judgment, but I mean, as soon as you started telling me the details of the case, I started feeling abandonment very quickly. And if you were a police officer in that kind of pursuit and maybe you articulated that, look, maybe he did abandon it truly. And the, per, the police officer just failing to articulate that, hey, this guy yeah. took it off his back and launched it. Right. Different story versus him having yes. it on his back or falling down with it, and you know, and, and it's next to him. Right. Uh, totally things you right. must think about. And, 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 you know, why knowledge of law is so important, because you got to fit the facts of the case into. And again, we're not it's not the fabricating of facts. It's the lack of reporting the facts that are important to your case. Exactly. So in order for the prosecutor to make, make to make the best best argument possible, they need to know all of the facts that existed, you know, and all the things that you were aware of as the officer and what facts were existing. Because remember, we have we have a vehicle involved in this case. Um, the vehicle was cert. The only argument that the vehicle search was made that it was part of a search incident to arrest or it was probable cause based based on what they found on the backpack. But there could have been lots of reasons to lawfully search the vehicle. It could have been an inventory search. They could have developed probable cause to search the vehicle. And then so if, if we reverse it, if they had searched the vehicle first, that may have given them the PC they needed to search the backpack. There's all kinds of ways that, that this could still come out uh, in the prosecution's favor um, with the yeah. right articulation and the right questions. And a lot of people will jump the gun and be like, it's over. Oh, we got pancakes. Like, no, you don't. You just didn't. These guys didn't play it right. And a lot of times it's very unique to the circumstances. So, again, fabricating facts are improper reporting the right ones are correct. And a lot of times police officers are not reporting the right facts because they're, you know, I, I, I know that for, for me and you reading case law is very powerful. I'm very excited to read it. I enjoy it. And I enjoy being able to help everybody in the field and, and solidify their cases. But, you know, these guys and girls uh, in this field who think that they don't need to know this stuff or these, these training academies, whatever, maybe even administrations, all these people who want to forego this knowledge, I can't emphasize why it's so important to know this because you are losing cases on simple shit that was there. You have what you needed. You just didn't know it was there because nobody told you this is what you needed to look for. So, and by the way, when you know case law and you're, you're 90% of the way there, you can find that other 10% before you move to your next objective. So if you need, and I, let's go into consent just for a second. If your state requires seven things, maybe you read 20 pieces of case law. Let's even break it down a little bit, a little bit less, 10 pieces of case law. You read seven that were good and three that were bad. What you've got to do is figure out why the seven were good and why the three were bad and stay in the realm. So if you're like, well, we needed to do this. Well, you know what? They wanted to see this. I always tell people, listen, the advisory of the right to refuse, although not required under Schlenkloth v. Bustamante, every court from what I read says, it's a factor we will really consider. Yeah. That's one of those big ones. The guy said, we don't have to do that. I go, I know it, and they're telling you, you don't have to. But if you do, we'll hold that very much in your favor. So as much as you don't have to do it, mm -hmm. um, don't remember, if you're at a suppression hearing, this is going to be, a, from what every court I can read is, that is one of the biggest factors they'll consider as the advisor of the right to refuse. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They even mentioned that in, in, in Schneckloff that you don't have to say they have a right to refuse, but it is certainly a strong uh, mitigating factor in our favor if we tell them. Yeah, so I mean, you know, listen, I get it. Guys are getting by with stuff. The problem is when you hit something significant and there is some big finance behind 
the uh, the hiring of a defense, you get guys who are more knowledgeable than me, maybe at Zach's level that will come in and you're going to have wished you just take these few extra. We're just trying to remove the wind out of their sale of defense. So we give you this advice and say, look, here's a little bit more language. We'll go into the Florida v. Gimino thing. Guys, here's a little more language to add into your consent procedures. Instead of just saying, can I have consent to search your vehicle? You know, listen, it doesn't hurt to add a little more language in. This consent includes bumper to bumper, under the hood, everything inside the car, and all locked locked and closed items. Man, th- those those 15 to 16 to 17 words that you add into and you pepper into your consent procedure there are going to go extremely far in court because most courts, every state is a little different, but uh, what what they're giving consent to, so knowledge, intelligence, and voluntary uh, is going to be the most important factors you've got to consider. So people are getting hung up because they don't know or they're nervous or they're trying to do it, but they're afraid they're going to say, look, let them say no. Let them say no and take your next step for calling for a canine unit to come and sniff the car for the presence of narcotics. I, I'd rather have a denial and then ha- rather than having a uh, some kind of litigation or civil rights litigation or even, even having a suppression hearing because I didn't want to do something or I didn't know how to do something. And we're tr- listen, we get it. People don't know what to do. Obviously, why this exists, this whole company's the premise is we're going to try to fix what you don't know how to do. But we give you this advice, not because, and then, you know, people like, uh, he says, we should say, ah, fuck that guy, right? Like, we haven't said that ever. Yeehaw, right? Get back on the highways, cowboys, right? We're not saying it because we're trying to hurt you. We're saying it because we're reading what the courts have said and saying, look, there have been suppressions on vague, and I got to tell you, go to a liberal, a liberal state, you get vague consent. Don't forget whose burden it is on to prove the consent was valid. It's the state. It's not theirs to say that yes or no. So Mm -hmm. people say, hey, you know, you got to get consent from somebody like uh, who's in custody. I said, well, your consent's going to have to be uh, much more involved. Somebody who's under arrest, and then you want to get consent to search something after their arrest, their house, their vehicle, their bag. You know, you're going to have to think about what the factors are that the courts analyze, and you're going to have to have a lot more language than, hey, can we search your car? All right, it's going to have to sound something like this. Listen, it's irrelevant whether or not you say yes or no. At this point, you are under arrest. You have these charges you have to face. Um, but, and by the way, just understand this. No matter how you answer this isn't going to change how we are going to treat you as a human being. You are getting the same exact treatment that you would have received. Whatever your answer is, we're going to treat you like an adult, like a professional. You've been kind and polite. We have no ulterior motives. However, we do have probable cause to apply for a search warrant for your house. Before we do that, we figured we'd ask you, and you have the right to refuse, for consent to search your house. Is a lot better than take the cuffs off, Joe. Hey, you want to give us consent? You see this form here? How do you argue one side or the other? Which, which one does your prosecutor want? You being very clear that there is no threat of coercion. You're dismantling all the psychological ploys. Kindness is not considered a psychological ploy, but is a great significant tool in gaining consent. You know what I mean? Right, right. Would you agree with those things that I'm advising? Yes. And you, I mean, you, there was one thing that really stuck out that you made a very good point. And it was early in, early on here, you were talking about, you know, reading 10 cases or so that deal with consent. And you, you read seven where the court said this was valid consent or, and three that said this was invalid. Um, I can't stress the importance enough of, of understanding that's that's actually a legal concept called synthesizing cases. Uh, and that's how you really develop an understanding of what the law is, is by reading 
uh, a whole body of case law. And very rarely is one single case, a standalone, uh, never been decided before. They'll never come back to this again. Hard, fast rule. Everything, I mean, even the automobile exception, there's roughly two dozen Supreme Court cases that have dealt with the automobile exception since 1925. You have to read all of them together uh, to get a really good sense of what the automobile exception is today, why we have it, and what it means. And it's, like I said, it's called synthesizing cases. And that's what um, a really good attorney does. That's what a really good legal instructor does. Then just memorize a bunch of case names and a bunch of holdings from these cases. You really read them. You read the analysis. You, you read the dicta. You, you read the cases that it's citing. Uh, and you, you develop a big, broad picture of what the law really is. And that's the best way to apply the law to this new fact pattern you found yourself dealing with on the street, um, having that solid knowledge. I am writing uh, because I'm writing notes over here because the entrepreneurial wheels are cooking. I mean, I, <laughs> if you could imagine like a steam locomotive in my brain right now, so I came up with this great idea and then you could try to steal, but we're going to get to it first because we got, the, we got the Zach Miller on our side. And Zach, this is some of the things that, uh, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to have a future together, uh, you know, off the record. Uh, Zach and I plan on spending, you know, probably the rest of our lives together, you know. And if you want to take that in the, in some kind of you gratuitous, can interpret that however you would like. Yeah, yeah however you want. Uh, I am married, you know, to a As woman. Yeah, yeah. Um, that hasn't mattered in the past, I guess, in a lot of circumstances. Right. But what I what I would suggest, and I think we should do together is and you can you know you can put your name on it zach and i think it's a cool little project i know you're busy as heck um but even if you get if you dig us up those u.s supreme court cases regarding the automobile exception that you just spoke of from the u.s supreme court i think if you just give me a list of those i'll put something all of, together i have all of them right i mean that's this this synthesis that i'm talking about this is what i do um i have all of them right right in front of me so let's let's send those over unless you want to do it yourself. And what we'll do is we'll create a document that we can send out to everybody to have free, not not, and say, hey, if you read these 24 cases, you'll have a far better understanding of how the automobile exception applies. We'll at least get you, you know, and, and listen, sometimes people argue vagueness, right? Um, oh, well, I don't think you guys did a good job. I think it was a little vague. Hey, listen, and I haven't heard that in years, by the way. Hey, so what the fuck did you do for them, right? Right. We're trying to cover our bases and grounds as best as possible. We are not perfect. We're human beings. And it's better than what you've done, you critical piece of shit. <laughs> so we'll do it. And if it gets you 10% better. Sure. Hey, so I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm going to put it in my uh, color notes on my phone as well. Uh, you I gotta, you have to read idea. all of them. You know, you can't just pick and choose because there's going to be some in the middle. You know, I can already hear people running into Coolidge versus New Hampshire saying, oh, you can't search a vehicle if you have time to get a search warrant. OK, well, then you need to read Carney and Ross and all the cases that came after that. Um, so, yeah, you, you got to read all of them. And I would suggest starting with Carol. And the most recent one was Collins versus Virginia, all the way from and you know what? 25 to 20. Uh, 2019 or whenever Collins came out. I think it's our job to maybe take those and make them digestible and understandable um, because Collins v. Virginia is 100% confusing. Remember when that came out? People were like, you can't search cars in a driveway. And I'm like, well, you kind of can and you kind of, it depends, right? And and everybody just jumps the gun. And, you know, I, maybe there's a life lesson to be learned here is I always tell people when you ask a question, ask, can you explain it? Not I don't agree. Like, rah, rah, I just jumped the gun. Like mm -hmm. I've had people call me and say, eh, you know, 
we sent the guy to your class. He comes back. He tells us he's doing this and blah, blah, blah and that you said this. And uh, I'm like, well, did you read the case? Yeah, no, it says that, but it's from 1994. And uh, I'm like, okay, here we go. So yeah, I kind of give the guy a little shit back. I'm like, look, dude, you know, maybe it's a better idea to call me and say, hey, we sent this guy to your class. He came back. We're reading it. It does say that. Can you explain to us how this case from 1994 still holds weight here in the state of New Jersey? I'm glad you asked. Let me explain it. Here's the other five citing cases and two after it that he didn't uh, even bring to you yet. Let's solidify the fact. Uh, Does your prosecutor going to know this? The 26-year-old kid who needed a job? Probably not. Um, and, And I'm not trying to sound like a jerk, but in order to fix things, we have to call things out, you know, and a lot of people aren't going to like what I'm doing. And, you know, I have other podcasts that I'm on and I'm calling a lot of shit out, but to fix it, we've got to understand, identify what the problems are. And I had a conversation recently with a guy I'm going on his podcast and I said, you know, we got to start at the ground level, maybe even agency training before you get to the academies where it really starts. And then we got to go to basic course for police officers. I can't imagine today's day and age when a cop is going to a basic course for police officers and spending a full day on the nomenclature of a handcuff, right? Who fucking cares what a power safety tip is on an ass baton? And you're going to have a seven question test. Mm-hmm. Why are we not getting to the things that are important? And I don't, I'm not behind the premise of what people are calling for, for police reform. I've been calling for it since I started this company. The whole thing that I built with this thing in the behind me, it says street cop training and podcast was for training reform. I recognize that there is a big defunct issue in our training. And you know what? We know that nobody has enough resources to provide training to every police officer in the country, at least to the level they deserve. So what we're doing is we're collecting everybody we can find to ensure that we are giving you the appropriate training you deserve, maybe even better than you ever thought it could be. You know, you make a very good point that I want to mention about training and not having time. Uh, the Supreme Court has made it very clear in Canton versus Harris that uh, if you don't have the time and money to devote to to training, you shouldn't have a police department. Failing, well, not not training because you can't afford to in critical areas is not a defense to liability. Un- unfortunately, um, the accountability of the people who were in charge to make this stuff happen is really something that's going to be held to a higher standard. And Look, I, you know, you want to talk about a quick fix? And I, again, I'm not going to go on a tear. We're gonna, we're not going to even go into the Miranda stuff today. We'll do that. We'll start a whole new Good. Miranda thing. Um, you know, I always tell people, I go, think about this. And I'm not trying to take shots at administrations. Uh, at many agencies, patrolmen or the lowest ranking members, patrolmen are evaluated quarterly, semi-annually, even annually, whatever it may be. But why is administration not being evaluated by by the lower level? So why are we not saying, hey, here's a, here's a questionnaire. We need t- 10 questions asked. How's your first line supervisor? What's his or her name? What are they doing? Are they selfless? Are they knowledgeable in case law? Are they, are they behaving properly? Do they know how to handle high stress situations? Are they scheduling things correctly? Are they fair? You want to talk about fixing things very rapidly. Make high level command staff now accountable for how they behave and have them evaluate. And again, I'm not trying to make... I'm not trying to make people upset or get angry. What I'm saying is if you're going to, you want to talk about the chief has to now worry about him meeting his evaluation quota, right? Because if not, then we can challenge him at some administrative level uh, or legislative level throughout the state. And there's a higher accountability of it removes nepotism, removes political uh, politics. And this is all wishful thinking, but imagine how a chief or a Lieutenant or a Sergeant or anybody who's a corporal or a major, a captain, 
would behave if they know that their performance was now being evaluated. We know that you still show up and you, but now this is, I'm not saying you're going to go out and challenge the world and like take on the world and throw cuffs on everybody. It's not, I, I get that's not for everybody in this profession, as nuts as that sounds, but at least being good. And sometimes being good means doing nothing, letting the other people who are good do their thing and just being a kind human being to somebody else. If you don't know, I always tell people, if you don't know what to do, don't do anything, right? Or ask somebody, what should I do? I'm talking from an administrative standpoint. Don't just do something because you're expected to do something and the things you do are not helping. You're actually hurting tremendously. But could you imagine a world where police administrations were also, and by the way, you know what's crazy, Zach, when I bring this up in class, people are like, we do that. And I'm like, no way. They're like, yeah, our chief's great. He has us evaluate him every year. When you are that confident that you're good to your people, like I would love to have that here. You know what I mean? We'll take our 20-something employees, not the instructors, talking about in-house employees. Evaluate me. What I we just started had a meeting yesterday. I said, what can I do better for everybody? Is there criticize me? What can I do? Am I not here enough? Am I floating around? Mm-hmm. Are you not like, well, we can't get your attention at times? I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I okay, I can bear this in mind and adjust for the future. So you know, case law is a portion of it, but I think if we start getting to the nitty-gritty and the core of it, people have to care. And uh, they have to care about how they're treating their coworkers and their subordinates. And even and by the way, and what that comes respect from the ranks to the to the higher level. But I gotta tell you, when the higher level begins to behave at the administrative level, you gain the ranks respect immediately. You know, I mean, think about who you like throughout your career, who you would sit and go have a cup of coffee with in a second, and who you, you know, who everybody ran from you know uh, when they came in musters over this this asshole's walking down the hallway right mm-hmm. um and again i know i'm not trying to put you in a weird spot you don't have to agree or say anything with this well, i agree wholeheartedly with the, the interpersonal relations i mean this whole profession is about interpersonal relationships and it starts with the internal ones that we have so yeah I agree i'm, I'm trying wholeheartedly. to listen and some people aren't going to like this uh they'll lash out and it's going to speak volumes of who they are in their character because now when you're being exposed for it, like my wife's like, Hey, you know, you're eating Entenmann's donuts and it's 11 o'clock. And then like the next day we're going to the pool. She's like, you see you fat bastard. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, Oh, I was working. I was tired. I was, tired. you know, the, the truth of the matter is, is she's right. It didn't yeah. make me feel good. I don't like that. But the truth is the truth. It may not, it may hurt, but in order to fix things, she has to call me out. You know, at one point in my life, I was almost 250 pounds, glug, 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 shoveling white castle down my throat when I'm hammered. And my wife took me into the bathroom. She's like, take your shirt off. I'm like, oh, this hurts, right? And she's like, take your fucking shirt off, right? And she's like, look at this. Look at your back. And I'm like, oh. She's like, you know, your friends are making fun of you because you're fat. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't think it's as bad. She's like, listen, I'm telling you because I love you. You're fucking fat. And I dropped like 30 pounds. I went down to like 220 in about three or four months. It did not make me feel good to face facts, but it did fix and correct the problem of how I was behaving. So if you're part of this solution, this resolution to get things better, and I'll repeat this today. People say, say the same things all the time. Of course I do. It's the truth. If we're trying to resolve these issues and you're going to be a police administrator on one hand, say, I don't like what's going on in the world. It's not fair. But on the other hand, maybe subconscious don't realize it. You're a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a big part of the problem. So if we can't have accountability, sometimes we have to say we have to have self-accountability until we can get something in place where we can make people have accountability. And um, these are things I'll push throughout the, the, the remainder of my life. And as a representative of law enforcement, I'm not here for the little guy. I'm here for everybody. And you know who agrees with this? Great police administrators say, you know what? We like that. That's a great idea. You know, I'm full of great fucking ideas. 
And it took me years to get people to listen to some of these ideas. And we are resolving problems. You know what? When it starts at that, it continues to grow into now people not dying, right? Mm -hmm. If we can resolve some of the issues at the police academy, I told a guy, uh, I don't want to say what state, we had a guy who ran an academy in a, at a class recently. And I said, you know, what are you guys doing regarding the passenger side approach? He goes, well, we're looking at it. I go, you're fucking killing cops. Do you realize that you're killing police officers? And he's looking at me. I go, I know you don't think you are you're fucking killing cops because all you got to do is look at 10% of these videos. If they had been on the passenger side, they would be alive or not bound to a wheelchair. And you guys haven't realized, I'm telling you, I'm begging you to stop killing cops. You've got to ask for help. If you don't know what you're doing, reach out to us. We'll give you a curriculum. We're actually going to write a curriculum this summer. I'm going to try to get to it. I'm going to revamp a whole curriculum of what a police academy basic program should look like. And you can pick and choose from the, from the baskets that I have, that I've selected because you know what? I don't think that you should have the fucking nomenclature of a handcuff for four, for four hours of a block. Who fucking cares about the ulnar nerve? You know what I mean? We could, yeah, you gotta know what's there. Here's an ulnar nerve. All right. Hey, question. Okay. We covered it. But like, let's go back to the legislation of, well, please. I'm sorry. I'm on a, I'm on a rant, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, I want to fix this thing so desperately. And, and at the very end of the day, you know, I, I'm even in class. I'm like, hey, who learned how to catch bad guys in the police academy? And I'm like, anybody can learn how to identify what a criminal is or no, nobody. Nobody in six months learned what to look for to catch a criminal. No, that's not important for police officers to know. What's important to know is, you know, the nomenclature of a handcuff. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's, there's so, a lot, so man. There's these, a lot that needs to be done. And I actually, I'll share with you off camera some of the ideas that I have. And it comes from my heart. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, some of that collateral damage uh, is is something where we will procure a business out of. Um, we worked very hard to to provide and design these products for all of you to learn and get better. All right, Zach, I'm, I'm done with my rant now. I'm over. Zach's like, Jesus Christ, get me out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm agreeing with everything. I, I work a lot with our, our local academy, and, and I've thought long and hard over the, over the years how to improve. Uh, academy training. What is it? What is it that a, a police recruit needs to know to be ready for day one, either sitting in his car with the FTO or day one on 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 his own? You know what? What are the critical things that a police officer needs to know? And that's what we should focus our recruit. However long your recruit training is, that's what we should focus our time. And we, and I I'm convinced that we can still do that within all of every state has their training standards that have to be met. And there's just really no way around those right now. Well, we can get them, uh, but changed. we can we can still meet those standards, and still focus our time with our recruits on the things that that we know as practitioners what are what are critical knowledge and critical skills to have. How about this one? I always say this in class. A new one that I come up with. I go, how many of you got in your first foot pursuit and did what everybody else does the first time they're in a foot pursuit? He's running right, and you just scream, and everybody's sitting eating dinner, and you're like, what the fuck was that? Is that our, did somebody get a radio? Like, did we get hacked? Right. Everybody's looking around. Like, what do we do? Do I take another bite? Do we get in our cars? Right. And you just like kind of slowly start to mosey up and Hey, pal, we'll be right back. You know? And then you hear it again. Here's a simple fix to that problem that every fucking person does. Every cop in their first foot pursuit or, or vehicle pursuit screams like a girl. And there's nothing you can do because nobody's ever trained you what to do when your body's having a complete adrenaline dump oh my God, I could be dying, right? How about we do, you guys go on runs, right? Like 
How about in the runs, instead of doing like pole to pole sprints, you have mock radios and you have maybe one of the instructors sitting back at the building and you have one of the recruits run and just practice on giving a description of what they look like and switch them up. Six foot white male, blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, blue shorts, run into it. And listen, start running around, start running around the campus that you're at. He ran behind a blue Buick. Do this 25 times or the 40 times you have to PT and mm-hmm. running, whatever you require. And Jersey's got a 40, 40 PT session minimum required. I think most academies do. I know the national cat, you know, federal does as well. It depends what program you're going through, but shit, you got 20 sessions, make 15 of them, how to call out a foot pursuit. Mm-hmm. This is not, you don't need, you know, a, a million dollar budget to buy three radios from Best Buy for 60 bucks, the little Motorola ones. They feel no, the the motor mechanics are going to be the same thing. Maybe maybe do get the extend the mics just to make yeah. it feel realistic. Yeah, make it realistic. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, I'll fucking donate them, right? I mean, I've got them here. We're using them for the conference. I'll donate two to somebody who wants to do it, and they're not cheap either, by the way. Um, right. Simple fixes, man. You know, like who gives a shit how polished your boots are? We go to funerals in uniform maybe four times in your whole career. And we're going to spend how long learning how to pop? I don't care about the military bearing of it. You got to have pride in it, but come on guys. You know, what are we doing here? Like what does it, what are we doing here all day? And people are just romantic with the past. They think their way is the way because it worked for them. Let's look at what's going on out here. Right. I was a few, I'm getting guys out of the Academy. I went to three of them. Nobody knows what they're doing. I tell people I used to be, we could do a marching drill. Like you wouldn't believe but I didn't know what to do when a car smelled like weed. Six months at a fucking academy, three weeks post-academy, two weeks pre-academy, 12 weeks field training, car smells like weed on my own. What do we do? <clears throat> Nobody in fucking nine months of training could tell me what to do with a car smell like weed? Well, we might have told them, but we also told them 5,000 other things. It's, it's the quantity of in- – it's not just the quality, but the quantity of information that we – uh, throw at these these young men and women and expect them to remember every bit of it when they get out on the street. It's just it's not humanly possible. So we need yeah, to understand and, the human limitations to 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 the to the learning environment. And the resolution to this stuff was handed to people who didn't have the proper resolution. That's just the answer. Uh, you know, I mean, give it to people who know how to solve the problems. And I, I I do believe street cop training will be a consultant for this stuff for years to come. Of here's our issue. What's your suggestions? I'll give them to you for free. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I got stories for days, but anyway, listen, this is this episode of the street cup training podcast, a Dennis Benino authentic rant at the end, Zach Miller listening like a good friend that he is <laughs> not making it to the street cup. Party Taking it all in. So if you guys want to know more about Zach's class, man, Zach, I got to tell you, you are the uh, hot topic item. Now you are like the uh, Bono uh, of the street cup world. Maybe Bono in the uh, mid eighties, just getting some notoriety. Now people going, who is this? What is that? Doesn't, doesn't get any better than YouTube, man. That's, yeah, if, if you like anybody, that, if anybody knows me, they know I'm a huge YouTube fan. Oh, so. Shit, yeah. So you're the soothsayer for police training. Yes. Um, yes. man, we are so thrilled that the world is getting to know more about Zach Miller and constitutional policing and street cop training. Check out streetcop.com. We were actually in Atlantic City yesterday. If you saw our Instagram story, I think we talked about it. Uh, finalizing the details for October 4th through the 8th of the Harrods Atlantic City Casino. We will be there. We have, we're anticipating somewhere in 1,500, 2,000 attendees. Wow, good. Yeah, no, we are. Um, so we have to go over some more finite details. Some of the guest appearances will be Tommy Lauren from Fox News. We have Marcus Luttrell, uh, the book 
and movie Lone Survivor. He'll be another keynote, keynote speaker. Dakota Meyer, Tim Kennedy. Dakota Meyer being a Congressional Medal uh, Honor recipient, uh, Presidential Congressional Medal Honor. Tim Kennedy, Special Forces, runs a police training. Um, I mean, really, what a stud. Social media, all that. Uh, UFC championship fighter. And anybody who's listening, if this some of our keynotes hear this, I did not intentionally redact or forget anything about you. I kind of just threw this off the cuff. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. If you guys are enjoying what you're hearing here, a lot more context in our Facebook group designed for police officers, police officers only. We have Instagram public and Instagram private, and we're doing our best to fix and correct oof, this mess that has been left behind by <laughs> decades of people who, you know, didn't give a shit sprinkled by those who, who gave too care too much. Um, and our objective is to make sure that we are seeing more bad people go to jail. And that starts from the inception of noticing what, Behavior is to the conviction of acting appropriately and constitutionally and also making sure that we're employing tactics that ensure that you go home safely to your family because that's really important. And we've got a lot of things in our minds. So next episode we get to, Zach and I, we're going to start getting into, talk about a little Miranda stuff. Miranda, yeah. We'll start yeah. tapping into Miranda so we can understand when that applies, how to apply it, what you need to know, and um, issues like that. So without further ado, Zach, do you have anything else? I'm good. See you next time. Guys, thank you again for being here for this recap episode. We will see you later.